Howdy, and welcome to the Three True Outcomes Podcast, presented by Baseball Prospectus. I'm your host, Ian Lefkowitz, and joining me, as always, from suburban Michigan, it is Ben Murphy. Ben, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Ian. How are you? I'm doing well. Delighted to be here. And uh, back in um, in May, where, where baseball starting to count. It's very exciting. <laughs> starting to count just now? Yeah. Huh. Yeah, you know, you, you know what they say. Uh, after three weeks, you shouldn't panic. And after four weeks, everything matters. Yeah. Traditional folk wisdom. Um, joining me, as always, also from the nation's capital, it is Jared Weiss. Jared, how are you doing? I'm doing well. Orioles are staging a comeback as we speak. <laughs> um, what I like is that people listen to this, uh, you know, with... It's an evergreen comment. Schedule. Yeah. Yeah. The Orioles are going to be losing some game. <laughs> They're going to get one base runner, and everybody knows that for Jared, that's staging a comeback. Yeah. I guess you could think of the Orioles as staging a comeback in the cosmic sense. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with the astronomical version of time. <laughs> All right, yeah. All right, aren't we all in the long run? Um, <laughs> but uh, no, we no time for Orioles jokes because uh, we have a great podcast, probably honestly filled with a bunch of Orioles jokes. But before that, <laughs> but those are funny. Yeah, before that, we have baseball content. Uh, we're going to try to talk a little real baseball. Um, we are going to answer some questions. Uh, we're going to dip into the Scorsese talk forums for some hot hot takes. Whew. This is going to be the PTI of Scorchy Talk. <laughs> really, uh, I've got really my highest, highest and best aspiration for myself. Um, oh dear. Yeah. But before we do this, so this is probably not going to be the longest of episodes. Um, which I realize saying that that you actually can see the runtime in front of you. So I either just told you the truth or a really good joke. We'll see. <laughs> Either way, they're happy. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, but we'll get we'll get right into it. Um, we actually got a few questions this week, so uh, I am delighted, as always, to turn it over to our mailbag captain. Mailbag captain, how's it going? Fantastic. We got letters. They're great. I'm I, curious, though, who's who's Tony and who's Wilbon? Oh, that's it. Can I be uh, reality? Did you immediately stat boy yourself? Uh. <laughs> that is very tough. Um, true fact, I have never seen an episode of Pardon the Interruption in fall. Wow, really? Wow. Yeah, from end to end. I used to Can listen I to the podcast just to like, keep up with sporting current events, and then when High Noon started coming on, uh, I stopped listening to PTI because, well, I should have stopped a while ago. But uh, uh, Bamani Jones and Pablo Torre do a much better job of not sounding uh, old and curmudgeon and uh, generally wrong about things. That seems <laughs> extremely accurate. Yeah. <laughs> also, yeah, describing a large percentage of the American well, right, population. Yes. Yeah. Damning with faint praise, perhaps. Yeah, it's interesting. Like Kornheiser isn't even the one that irritated me. Um, yeah, as much. But Wilbon uh, had a lot of like holier than thou, old person get off my lawn kinds of takes that got really obnoxious. Again, I aspire to that one day. Maybe, maybe even a few minutes. <laughs> so maybe I am the Wilbon. All right, this is exciting. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we can get Before on. Before we get there, I mean that listeners, if you wanna, if you wanna weigh in, please uh, score sheet at baseball perspective. Is this, is this like Eric Moyer's <laughs> question about which one of us is each outcome? Is like which one of us is each person on PTI? <laughs> we will answer Much which more one divisive. of us is any of three things. I, let's yes. be honest; that is a really evergreen question. For I kind of love it. Yeah, yeah. We sh we should start doing that. All right, uh, but we got to go move on because Ian promised this is going to be a short runtime. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> With no tangents. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds we like didn't promise our tangents. Yeah, that's right. Um, so the first question comes from Michael, 
who claims to be a regular listener, enjoy our shows, but didn't like our discussion of the theater um, last really? podcast. I think at least one of those clauses is not true. And if the, it's the one about theater, we could talk about the Tonys. You want to talk about the Tonys? Talk about the Tonys. Nope. <laughs> are, are you, do you feel... Yeah, let's talk about the Tonys. Do you feel <laughs> like your, your boy Aaron Sorkin got robbed? He got well. He's not a he's not a Broadway kind of guy. Like I mean, let's face it, he's not one of them. And there, it just it should have happened, but it didn't. But that's okay. He he doesn't need it. He doesn't need it. It's fine. <laughs> he's just going to be an EO for the rest of his life, huh? <laughs> um, yeah. All right. Yeah. Okay. So uh, again. The person who said they like everything about our podcast except the theater content <laughs> delivered straight theater content to you. <laughs> Finger on the pulse of listenerdom. Anyway, Michael is in um, A.L. Keating. He's Team 8, if anyone wants to follow along, which is a 13-keeper uh, uh, A.L. only league that's been around since the mid-'80s. That's pretty cool. That is impressive. Um, he... So have we. <laughs> nice. He says in that time he only has one championship, but we haven't been potting since the mid '80s. I don't understand. Um, and is in the second year of a rebuild and has some questions for our team. He's at time of this recording, he's at 400. Sorry, at 500, four games out of his division. So his first question to us is whether we think he should try to compete this year. He has some guys from inj- who are injured, like Lindor, Judge, uh, Dickerson, and Yovaldi. But he doesn't think he has uh, the depth or the talent to compete this year. Would you agree? Um, so in times like these, what I have enjoyed doing, and which I've been recommending every couple weeks, is going to Rob McCune's, uh well, score baseball prospectuses. But, you know, we know the brains behind this. <laughs> uh, the, the Taken Players Report, which you can find on the Score Sheet Draft Aid tab. Which kind of put lines up your keepers along a number of uh, axes, and tells you about. I would say this is a really rough estimate of you know how good your team is, uh, based upon projected SSM, the value that Baseball Prospectus uses for score sheet. Um, according to that, I, you know, I would tend to agree that the team is sort of punching above its weight, and I think. I think that's true to some extent, even looking at the team. You know, this is a... Um, for a 10-team league, you know, that's a little... It's a little shallower. We play in a lot of, I think, 12 and 24-team leagues, so sometimes it's a little tough for us to adjust. Uh, but um, you probably want, like, two or three stars to be, like, a competitive team. And, you know, especially when it comes to the pitching, uh, this isn't something I see from his team. So, you know, I think if you look at the top five, top 13 keepers, again, this is something I recommend for everybody as an exercise. Uh, In this case, I see, like, a lack of top-end talent that I think is going to make it really difficult to compete in the long run this year. Yeah, so it looks like teammate is second to last in top five, second to last in top eight, second to last in top ten, etc. So, so you're better than team seven, woohoo! Um, <laughs> yeah, and which you seems know, like I it might that... be the person the league's named after, or is related to the person the league's named after. Anyway, sorry, yeah. I if you're sending in your questions. Please send in your entire league history. <laughs> <laughs> You know, we we demand context. Um, no, I, you know, I think it's been some canny drafting, probably some lucky drafting this year. You know, Hunter Dozier's broken out. Um, I like Shane Bieber. I don't know that he can front a playoff winning rotation, but I don't think he's that far off. Um, you know, I think there are a couple good breaks, some bad breaks, uh, like an average team. I, I think it's probably punching a little bit above its weight, and I would... Um, you know, if it continues to do so for three more months, great. But, you know, I, I don't think I would plan for that. I think we all agree here that it's, uh, yeah, punching above its weight, probably unlikely to be competitive. doesn't mean you have to throw away the entire team right this second. But 
Um, but yeah, it's not one who would project to be a winner. But this leads into um, his second question, because I think that deep down, Michael knew that. And he knew that one of the reasons that his team is called overperforming, if you want, is because of Hunter Dozier, who you mentioned, Ian. Did you guys see his triple slash in this league? Because it's no. insane. No. Hunter Dozier in this league is triple slashing 355, 462, 763. <laughs> He's slugging 763. The next highest guy is under 600. He's 150 points higher than anyone else. <laughs> um, That's not Jared. right. It takes a lot to get Jared that exasperated about <laughs> Jared, anything. Do you really. remember when we saw Hunter Dozier in Idaho Falls? I can already Idaho? tell you he doesn't. I remember it. I remember the game in Idaho Falls. I don't remember Hunter Dozier. Yeah. Do you remember anything about the game in Idaho Falls? <laughs> I sure do. Yeah. Was, was there a no hitter in the game? <laughs> well, you know, if the team scores a run, but they haven't had any hits, does it still count as a no hitter? Is it a no hitter? I'm not sure. Would we oh, call it a no hitter? I remember so, you talking about this game. Yeah. Yeah. For for those who haven't, um, Jared is. This might surprise you as Nora's fan of the superstitious sort. Also of the doom sort, you know, and I would say believes a little bit in the no hitter jinx. <laughs> um, Any kind of jinx. Yeah. A- any jinx. Um, it's not like Jared and, is discerning about his jinxes. No. And uh, the people behind us at, at this game that we were at in Idaho Falls, Idaho, a lovely place. Um, although more falls. Um, <laughs> what a recommendation for Idaho Falls. More falls. Um <laughs> But I, I would say the better part of three innings describe asking each other what a no hitter was <laughs> in like grand detail, just saying the words no hitter over and over and over again as uh, this pitcher, uh, Yender Caramo, uh, <laughs> carried a no hitter into the ninth inning, which neither of us have seen before in our lives. And I, is I the one it. thing. Oh, sorry. You I had seen, seen Hideo Nomo no hit the Orioles. That's fair. <laughs> That's fair. Uh, I had not seen. Is is my white whale, and you know, is the most exciting thing to see in baseball. Uh, the absence of something, which is what makes baseball special. Um, <laughs> so, and just the idea of watching Jared visibly cringe next to me every time the word no hitter was said, which is like several like about 20 to 30 times and then, like is that but they, do they have an error does an error count a no hitter does that mean they don't have any hits is that a no hitter so what what is no hitter no hitter no hitter no hitter and then like every time you just see like this galvanic reaction just like horrible like shrieking pain coming next to me which is obviously what i look for even more than a no hitter in life anyway um which reminds me that uh hunter dozier was really good in that game and it's nice to see him break out half a decade later <laughs> so so to get back to the question yeah okay. <laughs> um we've got hunter dozier and then adalberto mondesi who is also um and they're like crazy, and he wants to know what to do with Mondesi and Dozier. Are, are there people? Are they guys you would consider trying to trade now? Do you do you think they're long term keepers that it's not worth investigating? Um, do you have any thoughts on them? Yeah, I mean, I keep my options open. I I, I think you could certainly offer Hunter Dozier around to any team in need for what you perceive as equivalent value and lock it in. Um, I think. It's hard to say. You know, we live in the StatCast world where everything kind of has the explanation behind it, right? And um, I haven't fully bored down on Hunter Dozier, but, I, you know, I was listening to Mike Petriello talk about this last week. And, uh, you know, just looking at him, there, there's an aspect to this that feels real. Um, despite that, like, I think you could also still... Uh, you know, he might still be better off on another team than yours, even if that is true. Um, I you think Mike should be looking for like younger or longer run value instead of older guys that are less likely to hold it? Yeah, Hunter Dozier is already twenty seven. Is is a thing that you should know about him if you're not like immediately familiar with. Uh, him so far he was a, a college prospect i believe and um you know has been cir- circling the minors uh for a while um you know and it 
again, like because of swing path change, he's I think pulling the ball much more than he used to. Um, you know, it's hard to say that changes like these are completely out of the realm of possibility anymore. But I, I guess like with Max Muncy last year, I guess you count your blessings, but I think you may want to shop him and see if you can get something that's a little more stable or a little more future oriented, even if that's true. Um, Adalberto Mondesi is really interesting. I He's not a player who I know what to make of, really. Um, I think he has... He's not a player who I had been particularly high on because I tend to like performance a little more than um, projection. And, you know, I the power has come to a degree that I didn't really expect. But, you know, even if it's not in, like, a form that is ideal or, you know, the pure platonic, like, money ball, three-child comes style. Um... But, you know, he's still super young. I don't think you have to trade him right away. I think he'd have value. I think he'd have value at the end of the year. I think he'd have value at the end of next year. Even if he has a down year, people will still remember his power. Yeah, that pedigree is going to stick for the people that like him. Yeah, so, I mean, again, like, if you get a good deal, and if not, he's on your team and pushing you forward. So, I don't know. Uh, I I guess the answer, as always, is depends. But fair enough. Right. Uh it depends on what you get back, but I, I wouldn't force anything. Uh, I guess, I'd probably be more inclined to trade Dozier if you get a good deal back. That's fair. Ben, in like the abstract sense, someone like Dozier who's hitting the crap out of the ball in a way that I think everyone acknowledges this probably isn't gonna last for the rest of the season. But he still has some value. You know, is there is there still a way to trade someone like that? You, it just as long as everyone adjusts their expectations, or is there just it's unrealistic to expect um, a trade to happen? Do you think? Um, I think Ian's advice about shopping them around is how you're gonna figure out if you can get a good deal or not, and you're looking for somebody that's just mm, you know more willing to pay something close to present value instead of like some kind of discounted future value, but. He's hitting well enough that you'll definitely be able to move him. So, um, yeah, I don't know that. I guess it depends on what Mike thinks is going to happen to Dozier in the future and whether he thinks that Dozier is going to be part of Mike's next team that's competing or not. Yeah. Because, right, yeah, 27 is um, not so old that you couldn't see contending with him on the roster, right? Right. Um, and I think he's kind of played himself into at least being, I, I don't know, yonder Alonso level, which is doesn't sound exceptional. But to be clear, Hunter Dozier a month ago was projected to be one of the worst hitters in baseball. So <laughs> to have even a thir- number 13 keeper out of him is uh, great. And I think there's potential for more. Um, Hunter Dozier, who is hit slugging 688 in real life, by the way. Um, one other fact about Hunter Dozier that I forgot about, but I, I did flag for this podcast. Um, so Hunter Dozier, uh, I was looking up his stats in Fangraphs, and uh, there's a art- recent article uh, about him by Craig Edwards that says a lot of what I was saying, but better and with charts and you know supporting facts. Um, but the one upshot at the end of it is that... Um, uh, Hunter Dozier's plate discipline shows he swings a few pitches and doesn't make contact on pitches outside the zone. He doesn't have a ton of close comps, but the closest might be Tommy Pham. Ooh. Um, he's oh. fairly patient in and out of the zone, and when he makes contact, he hits the ball hard. Um, so, as everyone knows, I am a big fam, and it's uh, uh, just as painful every time. <laughs> it never gets less painful. Yeah, and if that is Hunter Dozier's best comp, I guess you hold on to him forever. Okay, change my mind. Next cool. question. <laughs> yeah, let's move on, and maybe let's wrap it up. Uh, Michael also asked Can, about. Uh, go ahead. Sorry, I was just gonna say, um, my sense is that if you're wondering like whether it's time to compete or like play for next year, that almost always means play for next year, right? Because like I think our, at least most of us anyway, are like inherent. Um, 
bias is to overestimate our team. And so if you think they might not be good enough to contend, they're probably not good enough, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. I think the, I think that's fair. It's an astute observation. Not yeah. that, like, and I think, um, Jared, you pointed it out earlier, like, Mike sort of asked his question in a leading enough way that we had a sense that he was going down that path anyway, but I guess for everybody that's out there listening that maybe nothing about Mike's team specifically sounded applicable to them, maybe that will help, that, like, if you're not sure... Um. that's very true and you know i think uh something that you ben say a lot too is like compete for what like compete for the playoffs yeah or compete to be the best team yeah and maybe the playoffs is something that people want to compete for i'm not saying that you should but we compete for championships so trust the process okay yeah cool jared um so yeah michael had asked about uh, starting pitchers but i think we agreed that that was a source of weakness for him so uh, unless you guys object, let's just talk about the prospects. Sure. Um, he considers Wander Franco, Adele, and Royce Lewis as untouchable. Ian, is it offensive to put Wander Franco in the same sentences of their prospects, other than these other prospects are not as good as Wander Franco? <laughs> Look, uh, the thing is, we just luck boxed into getting Wander Franco in our league, and then all of a sudden, in the you know. Uh, you love your own prospects the most. He is now the lord and savior of our team. Um, <laughs> I think Joe Adele is, is a very strong prospect. Um, I am not convinced on Royce Lewis yet. Um, but, you know, uh, like, I think the upside is there. So, uh, sure. Cool. But And then he talks about a bunch of other prospects. I don't know if you list them off. Do you have any thoughts on McKay or Kyle Tucker or... Um, any other prospects on his team? Um, so what to do with... I wouldn't even say these are second-tier prospects. I think these are pretty clear, um, you know, solid, especially in traditional hard 13 league keeper uh, or hard 13 keeper leagues. Uh, these are, I think, very solid prospects. Um, I would hold on to anyone who I consider to their, let's say, average outcome being a plus keeper. And I wouldn't really concern myself with having too many of them, especially this year. So um, is there anyone on his team you wouldn't suggest keeping? Or you try to get rid of? Well, I wouldn't... What he said, I would probably not package them into a starting pitcher. Because, again, that's something that depreciates pretty quickly. That's a question that he was asking. Um, and that asset probably depreciates even quicker than a prospect. Like if uh, he has Nate Pearson on his team, if Nate Pearson has Tommy John surgery next year or this month, I think you could potentially still get something for him next year. Um, and if that happens with a major league pitcher, I think uh, you're out of luck. Uh, I don't immediately see players who I would uh, get rid of. I would probably look to trade Ryan Mountcastle <sighs> the second he gets to the major leagues. Yeah. <laughs> um, Everything okay over there, Jared? Yeah, no, doing great. Stub your toe? <laughs> Why would you train Ryan, trade Ryan Mountcastle? Because uh, he can't hit or field. <laughs> <laughs> he's no, bad I, at I baseball. Mean, <laughs> he's he's having he's he's having a much better you know April than I expected, and I'm, I'm probably gonna end up having to eat some crow. But like I I still don't understand. Like I think he. He is a player, and there are a bunch of players of this type, uh, you know, the tweener players who are like, well, he was once a shortstop prospect, and he would be a great hitter for a shortstop prospect, and now he's a first base prospect, Mm. and he still hits about the same. Um, I don't really trust the Oriole development staff yet. What? They're the Astros now, I know. (laughs) Um... (laughs) But I think one thing in general to think of is, like, I think some prospects may have as much value as possible. Like, their maximal value might be the day they get called up to the big leagues. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, if you're if there's a player like that, I think uh, he has Griff Canning on his team. I think that's another uh, potential tradable candidate. Like, uh, you know, these are players with potential who haven't kind of... Uh, the bloom is not off the rose. If there's something you're getting in return that you think is more stable or you're getting a keeper back um, or a good deal, you know, it all depends. Again, it's the for what question. 
but um, those might be players I look to move. The high AAA players for contending teams the day they get to the majors or whereabouts. Cool. That's fair. Um, shall we move on? Absolutely. Uh, thanks for writing in, Michael. From We're going to go from Michael, who has been playing score sheets since at least the mid-80s, it sounds like, to Mike, who has been playing score sheet for over 25 years. We Why are these guys asking us questions? Little Mike support group. Anyway, um, so uh, Mike's question is about where to play outfielders defensively. He always puts his top defensive outfielder in center field, but what do you do about left field and right field? Is it better to list one uh, a better or worse defender than the other, or just put OF and let score sheet decide? How do you decide what to do with left field and right field? We did a little research here. I don't know if we did enough research here. We we did we did some research and uh, but probably not into the answer to this question, which is little... <laughs> that's fair. We did we did a, we did a lot of research. Yeah, yeah. We we learned a lot about Josh Williams' career. Uh, Josh William, who is mentioned in the official score sheet rules, um, but we did also look into the fielding rules. And uh, although I can't say for sure, I think the implication of this question is right that. If you, as you guys know, because you have been playing score sheet for a very long time, uh, the sporting news and official stats did not split the outfield positions uh, for a very long time, and I score sheet was built in that era. Um, and so I don't believe there are chain differences between left field and right field for that reason. Yeah, my my cue. I think, so I remember we talked about this a while ago, whenever it was, but um, there's nothing that I've ever seen where a score sheet differentiates between any part of, like, the lineup card or the sim or the range factors based on, like, left field and right field. Um, So, you know, like, theoretically in a normal baseball game, right fielders, like, arms play a bigger factor than left fielders. Um, But it's not like there's an arm rating in score sheet or anything like that, so I think that helps corroborate the idea that um, left and right are sort of interchangeable as far as score sheet lineup cards go. Yeah. There is one way I do use left and right field and break them out. Um, On lineup card, if I ever want a defensive replacement to replace one guy but not the other, I will um, use left and right for that. So you put the guy you want replaced in one of the two or like always in left field? Yeah, the guy I want replaced in left field and then the replacement in left field as well. And did you just pick left randomly or do you think it matters which one you pick? Um, I I mean, I picked it because, damn it, left field is an easier position to play than right field. But <laughs> yes, randomly. <laughs> okay. Not because you thought Scorchy cared. No, because me, a human, recognizes that. Right. That's the correct way to as do somebody it. that's watched baseball for more than 10 minutes in your life you know that yeah yeah, right. yeah. i haven't seen anything to suggest otherwise yeah um, but that does, just to clarify that does not mean the three of us are right if True. we are wrong and you are yelling at the podcast right now score sheet at baseballperspectus.com <laughs> yes please at um and since you mentioned the since you mentioned the arm ben and mike wrote in uh, about uh if arm matters in score sheet would you want that rolled into a defensive metric, either a separate one or some sort of overall defensive thing in your ideal world, or is it not worth the hassle? I mean, oh, I think like the sim that I want to play personally doesn't get you to that level of detail, but certainly a realistic sim should. Is that, I don't yeah, know if that's enough that's of a cop out. But it's like, I don't, I don't personally really care, but I think if the goal was realism, then that's definitely something that should be included. Yeah, but. I I would say I care. I, I mean, not like, obviously it's not a deal breaker either way, but it, it would be cool if I drafted Ramon Laureano to see him, uh, you know, casually toss people out at third base. Don't you care more yeah. about other aspects of defense in terms of like the sim being able to account for playing players out of position with a little bit more flexibility and stuff like that? 
yeah, yeah. It's not the it's not the number one of right, my right, exactly. thing I'm nailing to the wall, but right. you know, it's on there. Right. That's okay. why there were ninety three feet theses. <laughs> they weren't all like, you know, Protestantism is awesome. I'm sure one of them was like, you you should have a throwing arm <laughs> category. <laughs> I don't know. I I wasn't a religious studies major. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think I'm more on the Ben side just because it's fun to have Ramon Laureano, but it, I think, I don't know if I personally think it's worth the hassle of dealing with yeah, exactly. 98% people who are all roughly the same to yeah. have the fun of one Laureano. Yeah. Sure. Cool. Um, and those are the questions. Thanks. Score sheet at baseballperspectus.com. We like questions. Um, Ian, did you want to talk about the score sheet talk uh, questions? Yeah, so there, uh, there were a few more questions this week, which, um, you know, we didn't responded directly because there's kind of been a back and forth in the last couple days from when we're recording this uh about a couple of points which i think dovetail into what we've sort of been talking about in this conversation of late um you know a little bit about the way in which a sim is made the way this sim is made the way we like sims i thought these were at least interesting topic starters so there are two uh two email chains this is the score sheet talk forum on yahoo uh turns out you can't google it look for it on yahoo groups but um i assume many of you are subscribed to it already uh the first uh email i'll just read the initial email which is that um somebody uh said that uh, i have a starting pitcher that for the past week gave up five runs in the majors in score sheet he gave up 17 Something doesn't seem right. His ERA in the week for MLB was 4.7. He pitched 4.2 innings and score sheet over two games. Uh, For the same two games, my team was assessed nine errors, but in MLB, the same players only committed three. Um, So, and the subject line, which I think sums it up well, is I don't understand. I just don't understand how this works. Um... So when you guys hear that sort of thing, uh, I guess my first question is, how do you feel about um, I, I get, how do you feel about that concept? Do you feel like players giving up four runs in score sheet and seventeen runs in real life is um, means something has gone wrong in the system? Um, let me jump in first real quick, just um, in the interest of fairness, esteemed leader. Jeff Barton chimed in on the thread and said that, according to him, he got um, seven errors instead of nine errors and 13 total runs instead of 17 runs. Sure. Okay. Um, yeah. So I guess also... Doesn't, <laughs> doesn't change your point necessarily. Because, also when you go on tilt. Yeah. But um, I, I, right, I think it's fair to say that you probably felt it worse than it was. But uh, does that bother you the way it bothers the initial uh, writer? Um, for those of us that haven't read the thread, was there context given about the season to date and how the season to date compares between real life and the sim for these folks? Um, no, but I think uh, Garth Hewitt uh, in particular responded with that exact point. Okay. Yeah, because I know that the sim has some internal like machinations that use like the season to date as a guidepost sometimes yeah and there so there was a follow-up uh from another writer who said that uh he has walker bueller headed for a 20 loss season in score sheet he's 0 and 6 with a 690 era in real life he's 3 and 0 with a 522 era and he's going to lose 20 20 games and he said maybe if he was a giant pitcher he may have changed (laughs) (laughs) um i don't I don't know that the score sheet simulation has a uh, punish the Dodgers, support the Giants module in it. <laughs> Seems like a <laughs> surprising one, but <laughs> I like it. Conspiracy theory. You know, I it, it's interesting because I feel like one of the things that we have learned in our time doing this is that uh, not everybody sees the world the same way we do and uses the same statistics that we do you know and here you have somebody looking to match up win totals which you know I I think to be fair is in score sheet right yeah I was just reading the rules they they de-emphasize it but they say wins do matter yeah 
Yeah, and you know, uh, I think that's one of those things that the three of us would not look to match at all or to peg towards. No, but even the run thing, like if it giving up five runs versus in the majors for the week versus thirteen or whatever it ends up being. Um, I think this is a tough one because there's always going to be outliers, right? And there's always some weird situation where you don't have a defense or whatever. But uh, I, I get the point. Like that feels a little off yeah. to me. I'm not not saying it is off, but it feels it feels off. There's something that would make me want to investigate or complain or whine. Like but I, if, I totally get that reaction. If the season to date like runs allowed, let's assume the innings match just for the sake of simplicity. If the season to date runs allowed was notably lower in the score sheet performance for whatever reason. Uh, it seems to me like that's something that maybe not every score sheet player, but like a score sheet player that's on score sheet talk and is reading those forum posts should be like relatively well aware of, right? Like it's not I like the that. quote unquote balancing yeah. is news. No, no, I get that, but it still feels off. It still feels like too much balancing. Yeah, and I, I think that's a little bit why I brought this up is that hmm. you know even I looked at the numbers and was like, ugh. Well, you know, it's not like something maybe not went wrong, but like I could see where you would feel that way. And I think all the more so because you have people saying like, uh, you know, later in the thread, like uh, ERA is the key trigger, you know, that uh, ER that the sim targets ERA um, and you had Jeff Barton pushing back on that, saying the sim does not only target ERA. Um, but using bold in cap letters, it was yes. Um, you know, but I feel like there is an expectation on some level that the sim targets ERA for pitchers, and if it does not do that, then there is at least some subset of the customer you know, of the customers who feel a strong sense of dissonance. And, you know, Ben, I was wondering as somebody who, let's say, is interested in how Sims work and making Sims, um, how to resolve that sort of dissonance for people who may not be where you are. Yeah, I mean, it's one of the fundamental questions you have to resolve when you think about how you're going to create something. Because I think... A lot of times the appeal of a simulation is that it's not um, deterministic like normal roto would be. But most of the time people want their sim team to perform something like their major league counterparts because that's how people are drafting those players for their sim team. So they're you know, using major league stats and major league projections and... Uh, they're going to judge how well the players are doing by their major league performance. And so if your sim team is performing drastically different from the the regular, like, real-life team, or, like, players would be, then I think people would be at least uncomfortable with that in certain situations. It also strikes me as the kind of thing where people are not going to ever notice or at least call out the situations where their players are much better in the sim than in real life. But as soon as they're like much worse in the sim than in real life, people are going to, you know, start posting on social media and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, I know that when we've talked about it before, we feel like there's at least some cohort of the player base that says they want something that is random, but they really just want it to feel random. They don't want it to actually be random. And the other folks that say that they want something that's actually random are probably a little bit more amenable to seeing some uh, differentiation or at least some divergence between the fantasy performance and the real-life performance. And I don't know how you would really figure out how many or like what percentage of people fit into those two groups um, if you could... like formulate those in a way that they're like mutually exclusive of each other um, or think of it like a spectrum or something you know i don't know without doing some kind of robust survey or something like that how we would figure out uh, how people actually feel about it yeah and one of the things i was interested was that you said like the feeling of randomness or you know wanting things to look like yeah wanting things to look like reality but it's interesting because again they're like not to turn this into my postmodernism class but 
um, like reality means different things to different people. And so, you know, no. when we're, no. <laughs> when we're, but you know, when we're saying you gave up six runs in score sheet in 17 real life, we're like, oh, that actually sounds a little weird. And when someone says he's 0 and 6 when he's 3 and 0 in real life, I think all three of us immediately go, mm, nah, you know, <laughs> that's, that's not a thing, but you know, that, but that is somebody's reality. I, I don't mean to like blindly dismiss it. Um, you know, there are people who use, uh, there are people who use, uh, ERA. I don't really look at ERA column anymore. Uh, but a lot of people use that there and there are still people who are using wins and losses and, you know. I think all three of us don't. So where do you peg reality, I guess, is... But those are just different descriptions of the same reality. And I don't think what I was describing is invalidated by having different descriptors of reality. For everybody, they're like still looking at what happened in the sim and what happened in real life. So however you want to measure those things you're still going to have some people that want them to track and some people that are okay with them not always yeah. tracking together, right? And then, yes, from there, it's important to also look at what you were saying, I think, like, do we really care about wins and losses? Is it even going to show up on the website? Versus, like, runs allowed, earned runs, uh, that sort of thing. Yeah. And in this case, if somebody, let's say, uh, if a pitcher gave up five doubles you know, six triples, uh, eight home runs and, and 17 runs or like five home runs and 17 runs. And it, he allows five runs in real life because it was, you know, clustered pretty well and 17 runs in the sim. Yeah. If they're looking at plate appearance outcome matching, then it's a little bit easier to understand, right? Like how much does yeah. sequencing matter? Yeah. Uh, uh, and then, Right, not everyone is going to get there, I guess. Right. And I think that's part of why I think the most elegant solution is to have something that feels a little bit stochastic, but actually tracks pretty closely to real life, because people don't really want it to be that much different from reality. Like, <clears throat> think of it, too. If you're approaching it from like the Barton's perspective, it's a way... A better thing for them to deal with having to like uh, justify the feelings of randomness or whatever you want to call it, the simulatedness, than to have to deal with people constantly complaining about how the sim is doing them some kind of injustice. But just to push back on this for a second, again, like I think you're saying real life, but let's say there's a pitcher, we'll call him Dylan Bundy. <laughs> He gives up <laughs> five home runs, five doubles, five triples, uh, and five runs in 17 innings. Should he give up five runs or 17 runs? And which is real life? Uh, you're saying for his hypothetical major league team, he only gave up the five runs on the home runs? It, yes. And all of the triples and doubles were stranded. I mean, I think... Answer Alberto is amazing, or whatever. Right. I don't know. I think everything we know about like sequencing and stuff like that, seventeen feels more like the right answer than five. Yeah, but I don't think either one of them are the wrong answer. It's just like which one do you prefer? Mm-hmm. And if you went three and zero in real life, would you want to reflect that? Uh, well, I don't. I don't know how he's going to go. Th- Three, you know, I guess if he's scattering five, Trey Mancini, man. Yeah. Uh, how many games has his team won overall? No. Um, I guess I, I, I'm, I'm not trying to uh, discard the point that you're trying to make about like which metrics matter and like, does our understanding of the finer minutiae of how the game works have a bearing on like what we think the sim should do. I just think there's always going to be some stratification in the fantasy player base. And you're going to see some people answer the question a certain way and other people answer it the other way. And if you really want to know like what the quote unquote right answer is, you need to know what percentage of people are in each camp. Mm -hmm. Because 
unless you're just doing it as a thought experiment, the goal has to be to figure out how many people you're going to make happy and how many people you're going to make frustrated based on which decision you make, right? Because the point of building the sim could be to be able to like actually predict what's going to happen in real life, in which case you want it to adhere as close as you can to all of the minutia of physics and launch angle and sequencing and all that kind of stuff. But most of the time that we talk about building a sim, it's not in that context, right? It's in the like fantasy game context. Yeah. Right. It, so, right. So it's interesting. It is that like fun factor versus yeah. uh, realism if, that we keep, I, I, you know, I think we keep circling around this point, but I, I think there is something fundamental to the point. You know, I, I think it's really the fundamental question of simulation, right? Well, if I was in the baseball op- ops department for a major league team and I'm building a sim, it's for a fundamentally different reason than if I'm sitting at my desk at home and saying, like, score sheet doesn't seem realistic enough to me, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think they, in the baseball ops department, what range rating do you think um, the second <laughs> baseman has? <laughs> <laughs> well first they have to have played 10 games out yeah of well i guess that's true do they write you know delete all the data until they play 20 <laughs> games last year you're like uh oh, bummer steve we collected a lot of stackhouse data well into the shredder <laughs> no they just stick it on a pile until the pile gets big enough and then they're like okay now we've got a meaningful sample size that's fair recycling is good <laughs> Um, sorry, <laughs> Jared. Any thoughts on this? I don't want to. Um, no. Maybe. Yeah, I think it's a good discussion to have. I don't think there's one right answer. Right. Hypothetical, unless you're the Orioles. Um, <laughs> Got him. Just, just to complicate this a little bit further. So one of the things that I thought was interesting about this was, like you were saying, with luck balancing, and I think a couple of people pointed out uh, to the original uh, score sheet talker that. Um, there's a chance he just had his hook super high hmm. and the player got blasted. Um, you know, uh, but his pitchers just got hit hard. And I thought there was another related uh, comment on Scorchy Talk. Uh, someone was asking, like, why AAA players were pitching before bullpen arms. Mm-hmm. Um, and the answer to that is likely that the inning to come into the game was uh set incorrectly or maybe not uh, not incorrectly but not to what the player was expecting to happen right not low enough to get that player into the game in score sheet as early as he would like right yeah is it also possible that it's about like the number of appearances that they've had and so like they still had innings left but uh they'd already appeared in so many games in score sheet that like they'd used up all of their quote unquote like appearances for the week I don't know how closely those things track. I I feel like there is a, some sort of rule around that, but again, none of us are like score sheet scholars, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. So please. Again. I'm sure there's somebody listening that knows. So just yeah. write in and let us know, and we'll update next week or have you on the podcast to tell everybody and <laughs> make it clear <laughs> that we need. Some... Yeah. If you are a person who thinks you can answer that question, you have a standing invite to yes. come on the podcast. <laughs> just to know. Um. But so my other question when looking at these two things back to back was like, let's say you give a player tools to affect the outcome of a game. And in so doing, they hurt their team's performance. Um, but isn't that what it's all about? Like, right. Is that is that fundamental to the game or do people have a right to be angry and say this no longer reflects reality? And I don't want to like dismiss that, but um you know, I think there was an aspect of that that was going on as well. Like, you know, should reality trump your own management of the game? <laughs> or in-game tactics? Separate from, like, who you're playing. I guess, and this ties back to a conversation you were having, I don't know if it was last time or not, it's hard for me to believe in this day and age, I guess, that the managerial um, levers you can pull are going to have a big enough impact that you'd expect to see this sort of difference. Like I would expect <clears throat> the changes that you can make to 
make a difference on the fringes, but not to have such a dramatic impact mm-hmm. on your team. Interesting. You know, I, I, I definitely see that point. Um, but there is this like tension between how much player control you want to add to in-game management, and then like if the outcomes are your fault. I think it's clearly, clearly addressing what that means, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I agree. And I think I think that's a little bit of it. Is like. Uh, I think some of the pushback here in this case is the black boxy nature of score sheet, the simulation. Uh, yeah, it's tough because if you give too much away, then it takes some of the fun out of it, right? Right. But it if you don't give any life. information, then people are like, what the heck's going on? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah, I think that's it's an it's an interesting challenge. So, um, you know, I think it's something that we will probably return to again and again as we kind of refine our philosophical discussion of score sheet. <laughs> yeah, I think the other thing that I always come away with or try to remind myself about when we have these kinds of discussions is it's very easy for us to sort of sit here and ponder the hypothetical or, you know, for people on Scoresheet Talk to point out specific instances where things didn't really happen the way they expected. But it's very difficult to go through and resolve all these questions and take a stance on which way you think it should work and then uh, set something up. And I think we probably would do well to remember that and at least give, like, the Bartons some credit for, um, you know, I think you can tell, like, they've been fairly thoughtful about most of these things, regardless of whether you agree with the decision they came to or the thought process that got them there. Like there are very few of these things that happen where they're just sort of like, Oh yeah, we just sort of whimsically chose something, right? They usually have like some kind of thought process or there was something that was happening in like the mid eighties that like inspired them. But, um, right. Even what I see as recalcitrance sometimes is like, you're right. Like it spawned from, you know, like making a decision on this, on a topic that has to apply to everyone. And doing what they thought would be the best thing, given all of the factors that they needed to consider. Right, and the factor of actually building and maintaining a system, which is extremely, (laughs) extremely challenging. Right. So, (laughs) yeah. No, yeah, I completely agree with that. And, I mean, to their credit, you know, whenever stuff like this comes up on Scores You Talk, they chime in with with what the reasons are, and it's never, oh, this just felt right, or it's almost never, this just felt right. There's always something behind it. Even even here... um, Jeff chimed in on this one for anyone who didn't see. So he gave three reasons for why the AAA pitchers might be coming in um, before other people in the bullpen. And one of them was what you were saying before, Ian, about the um, the uh, earliest innings to be as the reliever. There's two other ones that I thought, um, just to, to say what they were, one was there's a limit of eight real pitchers that can be used in a single game. So huh. you need a ninth pitcher. It's a uh, pitcher AAA. I'm not I sure didn't know that. Either. Yeah. Um, I didn't know that either. <laughs> I guess that's an argument against the ball kind of deal, huh? <laughs> um, or setting so, your hooks to point two five. Yeah, yeah. So that's yeah, interesting. But again, I mean, to your point, that that was a choice that they made, and, and I'm sure we, you know, they have some reasons behind it. But they they didn't arbitrarily choose eight. I'm pretty sure. I wonder. Um, and the, sorry, I have. Sorry, I'm gonna interrupt you. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how that's going to impact situations where like the roster construction continues to change, or like some of the things that we had talked about before. Yeah. Like earlier on when we were talking about like major league roster requirements and how they might impact the sim, but like if the sim had already had a limit on number of pitchers per game, maybe we over blew the magnitude of the shift or whatever. Anyway, sorry, go ahead, Jared. Yeah. No, and the other one, and this is one I think we did know, but it's new as of uh, 2012 that short relievers can't come in before the fourth inning. They can only be used um, after. Right. So, um, just another right. reason why AAA pitcher may come in. Right, and as uh, as starting uh, pitchers pitch fewer and fewer innings, you may see more and more situations like that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, all right. Well, that was comprehensive. Uh, also comprehensive, the best things we see each week. <laughs> That's a segue. <laughs> 
covering all the best things that we see each week. Um, so, <laughs> with that in mind, Ben, what is the best thing you saw this week? Uh, Avengers Endgame, actually. Um, oh. So I won't spoil it for anybody. I actually saw it twice, once with my wife, which was lovely, and once with some friends, which was also fun. Um, you know, it wasn't... I saw it within, like, two days of each other uh, due to some unfortunate timing, but it wasn't the kind of movie where, like, two days later there's, like, a whole bunch of things that you notice, but... Uh, it was good. I I think I enjoy all of the like Marvel Cinematic Universe stuff uh probably because it reminds me of like childhood and comic books and trading cards and stuff that uh maybe Jared will remember too cuz that was right around when we were yeah uh sort of getting to know each other but um I'll just say without like spoiling anything that there I thought the movie did an awesome job of balancing uh, plot action and comic relief and then also like genuinely emotional moments uh and true to everything that becomes like the best thing that i saw <clears throat> i realized too that watching these movies now as a father totally shifts like the things that get to me or like the way that i perceive certain scenes or like something like that is like um anytime something dramatic happens basically like i can tell that i'm thinking about it differently or looking at it differently or whatever based on this like totally different perspective on the world so uh new appreciation for fatherhood through of all things um a marvel movie so that's good i recommend it if you've like seen the other movies or like enough of some of the other movies to think that they'd be entertaining then i think you'll like it even though it's um even though it's a little bit long it definitely moves pretty quickly there's always like stuff going on it's not like you come out of there and you're like it should have been half an hour shorter um even though it's like a three-hour movie or something like that so it's good much different than Thanks. any nba basketball game i've seen recently yeah the whole movie <laughs> so I, matters so um i haven't seen the the second movie uh yet but um just uh, no spoilers but um everyone from who died in the first movie stays dead for the entire movie. Right. And they, they never come back and nothing ever. There are, there are like, half the universe remains dead at the end of the second movie. <laughs> I assume that's what happens. I, I don't know. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I don't want to know. I don't want to spoil it. Sorry. I can't even think of anything clever to say to that. <laughs> because <laughs> it wasn't clever in the first place. Jared, what is the best thing you saw this week? <laughs> um, I was at, I guess, the equivalent of a conference, um, and there was uh, a speaker, and I am I guess I'd say I'm generally pretty cynical of um, speakers and conferences and this sort of thing, but this was, um, I don't know if you or anyone's familiar with uh, Not Impossible Labs. Uh, the yeah. guy, yeah. Uh, Mick Eberling, uh, was there. Ebeling, I, I'm getting that wrong, I think, um, <clears throat> was there speaking. And um, it obviously was a um, talk that he's given before. I was yes. reading, I don't, know, I don't know if, you know, given online, I was reading like a Forbes article that was basically this, the same essence of the talk. But um, it was just so inspiring. And uh, just, I mean, an absolute pleasure to sit through. And in some sense, I almost felt badly for the organizers of the conference because it was for a very specific thing and this talk just overshadowed anything else like so this, this conference went for like uh, two and a half days and i talked with people afterwards and, and to one everyone was like the best thing was this talk that the not impossible labs guy gave and it wasn't even close like in some stuff just everything else was forgotten because the talk was so inspiring and you know i won't go into the details the work that he does is inspiring and i can't speak to its effectiveness or anything like that but just it was it was a really good talk to sit through and it's it's very infrequently that i think i personally am sitting through a talk like that and feel inspired or feel like wow i really i really got something out of it so yeah Sorry, so look looking it up on youtube it's not a, or where i to do that later not yeah. impossible yeah not yeah impossible. the company is not impossible labs i think the website's not okay. impossible and, and yeah um, it helped that he was a a um designer for movie uh titles including a uh, bond movie so that sort of drew me in in the first right. place but from there yeah. he went to do he's an interesting dude um i saw him speak at a SAS conference and i agree with everything you said that like 
uh, inspiring and interesting and one of those like uh in my also cynical like view it's one of those things that's like it is inspiring but the, like the flip side of that is like man i am really wasting my time here yeah <laughs> like, it was, um... <laughs> this guy is out here doing some like really like phenomenal fantastic things and i'm like uh yeah i took two naps yesterday <laughs> <laughs> and you're like Shh, what am i what is what is going on you always got a pre-nap. Yeah. Um, so. so, Jared, no spoilers for the speech, but <laughs> did he threaten to kill half the world <laughs> with a snap of his fingers uh, because there are too many resources being used? It was implied, I would say. Okay. <laughs> okay. Again, no spoilers. Don't tell me. Don't tell me. I'll find it myself later. Um, so, uh, yeah, I did not watch Avengers. Unfortunately, I've been... Uh, the best thing I saw this week was probably a basketball game, and what? it was probably probably a four overtime basketball game between mm, uh, the yeah. Denver Nuggets and Portland Trail Blazers. Uh, one of the where like by the end, uh, like Nikola Jokic had melted into the earth like Groot, and like it, like <laughs> players were just like it, it. It did feel like the Western Front. <laughs> <laughs> uh, just like this fascinating, fascinating game. I've really enjoyed these playoffs. Um, you know, uh, I would say the least interesting series of the four is the one with the ostensible two best teams in basketball right now. Yeah. So, you know, um, the, the Rockets and Warriors or the Bucks and yeah. Celtics? Okay. Rockets and Warriors, yeah. You think that's the um, least interesting one? To me, personally. Oh. But uh, I feel like that one got real exciting when, when yeah. the Rockets tied it up. But. Yeah. I, but I, well, that's what I mean. All four of them, I think, have been great, and I'm looking forward to great endings. So I've been a little bit distracted from baseball, but I do have at least one baseball best thing I saw this week. Um, so I did watch. Uh, I I've been watching uh, a few games. I did watch a Cincinnati Reds game uh, a couple of days ago. Uh, I don't know if you have been tracking the uh, 150 year anniversary of the Cincinnati Reds. Uh, it's pretty cool. They have. Um, They've been doing, um, you know, a number of like different activities for the 150th anniversary of professional baseball and of the franchise, and uh, it's really cool to have all these generations. Uh, one of the things they've been doing is uh, that they're going to be doing is uniforms throughout the years, mm-hmm. and uh, that started on um, the May 4th game, I think, um, with the uniforms from 1902, and. Uh, the uniforms from 1902 are the best thing I saw this week. Oh, man. They are just... It looked so refreshing. And uh, by the way, to everyone who hasn't read this on Baseball Perspectives yet, I recommend highly, without reservation, Ginny Sir's article about um, how boring baseball uniforms have gotten. And I know I've said it a bunch of times on this, but it's not just the Padres. It's not just the Brewers. It's not just the Nationals, the Marlins. They've all of these teams have moved to like this new insomnia style of like blue, red and white in different shades and a teal, you know, like the Tampa Bay Rays look like a business card. And there there's just no one pushing this game forward in the way that again, like, you see in the NBA, not not to compare and contrast and say how how exciting the NBA is, but they are right on the edge on a bunch of things. And one of those things is, uh, you know, the city uniforms are really exciting. The way they change the courts is really exciting. I think it lends excitement and interest to the game to have the teams be a little bit more creative. And then seeing these players step out and, you know... 1902 is obviously freighted in baseball in a lot of ways because in a lot of ways baseball and society is much better than it was then so when i say that a you know a few players looked out of place uh in 1902 uniforms it's generally for a good reason that uh they're allowed to wear them now um but you know i would say players of all races like they look like modern players in older uniforms but the older uniforms look crisp and i love the three uh three-quarter piping and they had these nice buttons and like pockets and um the cincinnati was actually really good i would change the hats a little bit i would not use 1902 hats but what i want to point out because i'm saying all these players looked really modern and then you have joey Votto. i'm going to send this image to you of joey Votto in a 1902 cincinnati reds uniform 
prove to me that Joey Votto is not in fact a player from 1902 time traveling to the modern era. <laughs> I defy you. That's a photo of Chris Speaker. Am I right? It does fit him quite well. <laughs> like right. Like Joey Votto died of tuberculosis in nineteen twenty-seven. <laughs> um and, no, it's just like the collars. I would say everything was really on point. I think Cincinnati should move to those as the Sunday uniforms. Apparently, they're made of the same fabric as modern uniforms. It just looks great and so different and harkens back to the Reds' tradition of being 150 years old. I think it's terrific for them. It's on point. And uh, I would institute it almost right away. I would consider even making it the uh, standard home uniform. I'm not a crackpot. <laughs> I mean, you kind of are, but they are cool. Sure, uh, but yeah, uniforms should be more exciting. I, I think we do need to get back to more experimentation. So, and if we have to do that by hearkening back to the past, then that's the only way we'll be able to go back to the future. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's where we're gonna leave that, huh? Yeah, on that note. All right. Any final thoughts? Well, I think you you finalized all of our thoughts. All right, great, absolutely. Uh, So we would, again, love to hear from you at scoresheet at baseballperspectives.com. We'll be back in a couple weeks. Uh, But until then, on behalf of Ben Murphy and Jared Weiss, I'm Ian Lefkowitz. Thanks again, and have a great day.